This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 1. Now the, the big step is with Major League Baseball, uh, with the Players Union and, and the owners agreeing that, that this is important to have you know a standard credential in, in play for strength and conditioning coaches. And it creates, uh, it creates opportunity for those that have put their time into the game. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Hello, and welcome to the NSCA's podcast. I'm your host, Coach Scott Caulfield, and with me today, Brendan Hutman, Sports Science Coordinator for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and also President of the PBS CCS, which is Professional Baseball Strength and Conditioning Coaches Society. Coach, welcome. Thanks, Scott. It's good to be here. Um, and I will mention that we are at the 2017 Coaches Conference. Um, we are set up in our own little area uh, very secret podcasting room here uh, not soundproof so there may be some crashes or bangs uh, behind you and around us uh, maybe some voices we'll try and just kind of keep it rolling throughout that so sounds good uh, how was your trip in now did you fly did you drive yeah I flew in this morning <clears throat> got up about 3 30 quick shower 40 minutes to the airport uh, through security pretty quick 6 a.m you know to Nashville and got here quick and excited to be here with you nice and uh so tell us a little bit sports science coordinator is a new title for you you were the head strength and conditioning coach before that uh tell us a little bit about the new role about the transition yeah sure so my background is is 16 years in strength and conditioning uh kind of ended up you know i played college baseball and uh decided that I wasn't going to make it to the big leagues as a, as a player. So my goal was to find another way to do that. And, uh, I finished playing college baseball and then finished my degree at the university of Kansas, volunteered my time as a strength conditioning coach. Um, excuse me, when I was finished there, had some connections inside of baseball and, uh, got in at that point and worked in the minor leagues for uh, about five seasons, two as a major league assistant with the Cleveland Indians, four seasons as the major league strength coach with Los Angeles Dodgers, four seasons as the major league strength coach for the Pirates, and then a year ago was promoted to sports science coordinator. Cool. And now what's this job? What's this new position? Because I see that some other teams are doing this as well. What is this? Uh, what is it encompass? <clears throat> well, I think... You know, so the the system that we have in play is uh, with the Pirates is kind of a, a culmination of a bunch of people coming together. But you know, kind of understanding what that play looks like, you know, with the Pirates, and then also with you know everybody wants to talk about about the data and what do you do with it, and you know how do we sift through it. Uh, my wheelhouse is sort of trying to make sense of what's going to help that player today. Um, and not necessarily getting you know bogged down by needing to look at a whole bunch of numbers, but really just trying to trying to provide clarity to the information that we have, and then delivering message to uh, you know our athletic trainers and strength conditioning coaches about some things that I'm seeing, and and then also you know uh, the biggest difference just 100 percent of my time isn't on the floor anymore, probably 30 to 40 percent at this point. Okay, cool. Um, and you kind of talked about, you know, the way you that came up, but, you know, the million dollar question is, all right, how do I become an M- uh, MLB strength coach? Yeah, well, it's a it's a tough road. You know, there's there's 30 of these jobs in the entire world. Uh, I'm I've had a lot of luck behind me. I've also had some really, really good mentors or people to 
you know, to kind of support me. Um, at the end of the day, just getting your foot in the door, whatever opportunity that that is, uh, could be volunteering your time. Um, could be just, uh, you know, reaching out to, to a coach that you respect or, or whatever and asking for a few minutes of their time. Uh, so it's really just trying to find and, and create an opportunity that, uh, that just kind of gets you to the table. And, and, uh, and then at the end of the day, you have to work hard. You have to understand the principles and, and you have to have some luck behind you. Very nice. Is there any, so is there any specific, um, you know, skills or experience that I have to get before I can try and get into major league baseball? Well, you have to have the minimum standards, of course. You have to, you know, obviously have your, your CSCS. Uh, if you're working at uh, double, triple A, minor league coordinator, major league position, you have to have your RSCC, which is which has really been great to, to filter through, you know, some of the, the credentials that we think are, are important for those roles. Uh, it shows that, you know, that you've you've put your time into the field and, and that you've continued to work to, to gain your knowledge. And um, so those are obviously uh, important skills to have. Hard work is never going to fail. Um, and then I think uh, at the end of the day, having a passion to learn and uh, kind of going to work with, with the white belt on and and uh, collecting what you can every day. For sure. It's, it's an, and it's a never-ending learning process, right? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the RSCC. Um, it's exciting, too, for people that don't know that uh, Major League Baseball is the first, really the first organization of any kind um you got it now written into the collective bargaining mm-hmm. agreement i believe right mm-hmm. that cscs yep. and the registered string coach designation will be required correct Can you talk a little bit about that um, how it's been a process of yeah life? so i uh, gosh rcc is what 10 years old Something i think like i think i got it in maybe 2003 when it when it first came out um and uh now the the big step is with Major League Baseball, uh, with the players' union and, and the owners agreeing that that this is important to have you know a standard credential in, in play for strength and conditioning coaches and and again I think it 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 creates uh, it creates opportunity for those that have put their time into the game but but also uh, committed themselves you know to being in the field and and providing uh, you know really good direction for the players which is what it's about at the end of the day it's about their health and their performance. Sure. No, that's it's so exciting that you guys uh, have really taken the initiative to to raise the standard because you know hopefully other uh, groups and organizations are going to see that and kind of follow suit. So we're we're really excited. Talk about a little bit um, the professional baseball strength and conditioning coaches society. You guys are I've been to your uh, conference that you guys do every year. You guys are very organized. You collaborate. Um, it's just really nice to see. So talk a little bit about how that organization came about and what you guys do within Major League Baseball. Yeah, sure. So my role there is is uh, currently serve as the president. I was the secretary for for uh, two years before that. This will be my third year as the president, two years as the secretary. And um, really what, what we've tried to do is, is to bring together our group and, uh, and really give people the opportunity to, to share what they're learning with each other. Um, that can be uh, interesting because everyone's obviously competing for, you know, those big time jobs. And um, so, uh, you know, 
we just want everybody to be together, sharing their ideas. We bring in a handful of speakers over a, a two and a half day period. We do a nice workshop to to kick off our our uh, our conference during that that first weekend in December. Um, and again, it's it's more for me about getting everybody together and having them share and feel comfortable to to uh, to talk to the other members and and uh, discuss problems that they've had during the season or things that have worked great for them. No, it's cool. You guys do a great job with that. I always enjoy going to that and speaking at it and the yeah. times that I've had the opportunity to do that. So thanks a lot for that. Yeah, it's been great. Um, how about this? I, I always wonder this myself too, and I know that for people uh, out there will appreciate this, but are there any myths or misconceptions about being a pro strength coach? That's a good question. I don't know what Anything those would be. specific that you might feel um, in baseball it gets the people think about? I, I think, you know, I, I think that there is a misconception that, you know, if you have one of these, one of these uh, fortunate positions that, you know, a lot of things are given to you, you know, with the, with those positions. And I'm not sure that that, that ever is true. I think, uh, I think at, at the beginning, you know, you, you, you're doing a lot more of the, of the, the one-on-one work to figure out someday when you run your own system, what is that going to look like and, and how you're going to manage people. And, and I think the thing that I've learned as, <clears throat> as I've, you know, gained, uh, um, experiences that it, it kind of comes down to making better decisions during your day. And that's what the experience does. It gives you that inventory in your library to figure out if you've been through this before. And if you have, what, what things have you used? What have you succeeded with and what have you failed with and um so that's sort of what i'm learning right now oh that's great that's so good um and you talked about kind of uh you know coming up through the university of kansas you know really good history there especially with coaching and whatnot um who's influenced you as a strength coach or as a you know young professional coming up through your career yeah you know i when I was at the University of Kansas, I was just finishing my degree. I just volunteered as a strength coach at the baseball team, and um, it wasn't the the most uh, glamorous position that I had. My job was to to pick weights up and make sure the weight room was clean and organized and set up for the next group that that came in. Um, and uh, you know, it was it was at, at hours of of the day that were not convenient and. Uh, had the opportunity to work for for the strength coach Kevin Coleman at the time, who was uh, a pretty well known Olympic lifter in his time, and uh, you know he really taught me the a lot of the foundations of of Olympic lifting and um, cueing and you know what what words you're you're choosing and how you sift through how you communicate with people and and I really you know I was fortunate that he gave me the chance to uh, to just sort of mentor be mentored by him and. Um, and uh, and kind of see how he worked. So he he was a big part of, uh, you know, my path here. And and I've had a handful of other really important pieces too. Very cool. No, that's definitely it's, it's so uh, you know that's the, the other side of it. Coaching, cueing, not just knowing right what a mm-hmm. what a good lift looks like. And you said yeah. too the relationship thing. Especially. Yeah, for sure. I think the cueing thing is interesting because it, as you gain experience, that's where you get much better you know, than, than you were at the beginning and, and choosing your words, how much to talk, how little to talk, right. even down to, uh, you know, to eye contact on the floor. Don't always have to use your words, but sometimes your, you know, your body language and, and your, your eye contact with the people around you is, can sometimes be just as powerful as anything you're going to say. Yeah, no, that's great. What's, uh, how about, what's the best piece of coaching re- advice that you've ever received? <clears throat> well, I think, you know, it's tough to, 
to narrow that down, Scott, to, you know, because there's a lot of, a lot of people that have, um, you know, poured into me. I think the one thing that I recall is, uh, just as I was getting started into professional baseball in 2002, uh, Jim Malone, who's now the, the minor league coordinator, sports performance coordinator for the St. Louis Cardinals, hired me up and he, you know, a couple days into the, the role, he was sort of showing me what was going on and, He's a much bigger guy than I am. I'm 5'10", 180 pounds, not a, not a big guy. He's, uh, he's probably 6'1", six, six you know, uh, 250, 260. Um, and he said, you know, one thing you have to realize is, is the way that I coach isn't going to work for you. And you've got to figure out what that is for you. And, and I thought, you know, God, that really makes a lot of sense. And it's something that's that's stuck with me, and um, I think that you know, as a young coach, it's part of kind of just developing who who are you going to be, how are you going to how are you going to uh, go about your day and represent yourself, and and ultimately the institution that you're working for. Um, that's just something that's stuck in my head. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's so great, so true. Um, how about is would you give that same piece of advice, or would there be something else if if you could give your one or two nuggets? What would it be? Yeah, that's that's tough. Uh, I think the challenge with trying to to define that is that you know baseball specifically in in the last ten years has really changed so much. And mainly uh, 10 years ago, the acceptance of training, training for performance, getting out of the, the mindset of we're just here to prevent injuries, has really changed so much over the last 10 years. And now it's, it's, uh, it's not as, you know, players train, they come into spring training in great shape, they're receptive to the, the suggestions that you give to them, their off-season training is more specific. Um, and so I think at, at the end of the day, now what it is, it's more about listening and then adding, you know, adding value to to the to the athlete or, or to the player, you know, about how you see it. And then and creating a group discussion or, a you know, a, a conversation about, hey, what's really going to be best for you rather than just dictating what you're going to do. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the that's kind of the common theme that from talking to more professional strength yeah. coaches, it's a lot more. Uh, relational relationship driven and communicating mm -hmm. in with higher level athletes yeah. with the professional athletes paid people who that's their only job yeah and, and, and these you know these athletes have access to just amazing training and and education and um training younger than you know than we we did when we were starting out right and uh and uh so i think that's a big piece of it and obviously specialization is is uh is a piece as well. Um, what do you think is a reason that uh, people fail? And I don't mean like do a bad job, but maybe <clears throat> that they don't aren't able to kind of become don't succeed as a professional strength and conditioning coach. Well, I think that the road is pretty long, and I think that persistence is pretty important. There are going to be times when it's when it's. Uh, it's not glamorous or you're not motivated or, you know, sometimes who you're working for is challenging. And, uh, I think, you know, probably, uh, most professionals you, you've sat down to talk to have come to that crossroads where you can kind of keep going or kind of make a decision about this wasn't right for you. And I think that, um, kind of just the, the ability to kind of stick it out and know that, 
you know, as a strength conditioning coach, the hours are long, you're working every day, a lot of the holidays. Uh, and then as you get older and you build your family, you know, you have to, you have to realize that it's a, it's a big investment. Um, so if, if you can't kind of keep going down that path, you know, that would be one reason why people would fail or, or just quit. Sure. Yeah. And I know now, you know, you guys, you have a family, you have a couple of young kids, you guys get out to Colorado, still pull mm-hmm. off a ski trip every year. That's right. Uh, how do you maintain this work-life balance? It's easy. It's my wife, <laughs> you know? And, and what I mean by that is that she, she's, she's the anchor for, for how we roll as a family. And, um, so, you know, I say that jokingly, but it's really the truth is that without a good partner, you know, you wouldn't be able to build a family and, um, and she's great. She's kept us together and, you know, we take our whole family down to spring training. Uh, she helps to homeschool the kids while we're there for the two months. And, and then we come back and it's funny that, you know, she was calling the teachers yesterday as I was leaving Pittsburgh, um, trying to line up our, you know, our homeschooling for the kids and, and, you know, she doesn't have to do that. And, that's it's a lot of work, but it's part of our commitment to kind of keep the family together and keep growing together. Yeah, it's stuff that you got to do. And yep. um, so, what do you guys like to do when you're uh, out out of town? What's what's the go to uh, activity for talking with family? Uh, yeah, family <clears throat> fun stuff. You know, our kids our kids are are funny. They're active kids, um, and uh, so we enjoy kind of being outside you know, taking bike rides and, and stuff like that, uh, going to the pool. Um, my wife pushes a, a double stroller. My oldest daughter, who's seven, rides her bike. The two middle kids, two younger kids jump in the stroller and we take turns pushing. And so really just kind of being outside and and using it that as an opportunity to kind of stick together and, and stay healthy together. That's great. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned uh, school, so I'm thinking about books now. Uh, any is there a must-read strength coach up-and-coming book you have to read, or any other books that you would recommend? Yeah, well, read? first of all, um, reading is a pretty important piece here, and uh, and I think for me personally, it's beyond the internet or beyond digital. I think uh, there's something to picking up a physical book and actually kind of highlighting or making notes or contemplation or whatever it is that you're going to, you, however you consume the book. But I think that's an important piece. Um, I think it's easy to stay within our field to look at books. Uh, I think that that a lot of that has to be done. However, I also think that <clears throat> kind of looking at the same thing all the time doesn't always necessarily make you more well-rounded. Right. And so kind of reaching out for books beyond our, our profession, the popular ones are, are leadership or self-improvement, those types of areas. Um, that stuff's important. And um, I think that'll help you, you know, sort of lead by example or whatever your goals are as training. In terms of one specific book, I think the really easy one at the moment is Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. We kind of were talking before we started here just about that book. It's essentially, it's the cliff notes of probably over 200 interviews of top performing um, executives from across the world. Uh, I think that it's a great book to kind of sit by your nightstand and, uh, and kind of flip through it for 15 or 20 minutes when, when you have the time, but it's not a book you'd front to back read uh, and then kind of pulling off some of the habits that, uh, that either add value to you or are going to help you add value to others. Um, But 
it's a it's a really good book and uh, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, that's a great one. I I mentioned I bought that uh, strategically bought mm-hmm. that for my girlfriend for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So happen benefit. Uh, what's go. what? So what's your number one uh, nugget from that so far? Like what's Ooh. the one? <clears throat> choose one of things you've read. That- uh, I think. So it's really interesting. I we, we kind of talked through my kids a little bit, right? And and all three of them do gymnastics. And the point is not necessarily to be like a great gymnast, but the point is movement. And uh, so I go to gymnastics and and I watch, and it's so fundamental, but so amazing that you know they have this the series of events and kind of all makes sense with our education and our experience. And so there's a section inside the book that talks about you know sort of adult gymnastics or you know movements that we don't do as adults, like. The, you know, the really popular thing is, you know, set up the bar and start pulling from the floor and, you know, spend 20 minutes or 25 minutes just doing that and and call it a day. But, you know, adding those adult movements around that, uh, they can they can, you know, keep you doing that for for a really long time. So that's an interesting part. Um, It's, uh, I think, overlooked quite a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we, if you don't move it, you lose That's it. That's right. Is, one, is the saying. And That's right. I think that we know that too, from yep. whether it be sitting or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. All right. Kind of uh, working back to some of our funner, more fun <clears throat> questions here. Um, if you could uh, have dinner or a conversation with any three people, any three in the world, living, dead, or fictional, uh, who would who would you like to have a conversation with? So I, I'd I'd go first with Tim Ferriss, impressive guy, got his stuff together, asked really really good questions, um, which is also interesting because a lot of the times you'll ask questions and not necessarily get the answer that you want when probably what it was is you just didn't answer or ask the right question. So I think that that, that in itself is is a skill to uh, that, that really plays out in a lot of areas as a strength coach, interviewing new staff members, having conversations with coaches to, to clarify, you know, we, what each side means, um, having conversations with, with the athlete or the player to try to figure out, um, you know, the, the next steps with, with them. So I, I'd roll Tim Ferriss, number one, number two, I would go with, uh, the MacGyver of today, Jason Bourne is impressive guy. And, uh, he's always, he's always figuring stuff out. And then, and I think the, the third I'd go with is just on a personal level, just a, a past relative to really try to get a reflection of, um, of what, uh, you know, your bloodlines are, are about what, what things were like maybe a hundred years ago or, or whatever. Oh, that's a very cool one. That's a very cool one. And I like, I, I love the Tim Ferriss one. That's a, someone asked me that question too in a podcast and he was on my list too. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you and I, we was he number the, one? He wasn't number one. He wasn't number one. Uh, I think, I can't remember who I said. I think it was John Wooden. Okay. Yeah, well, another yeah, really yeah. good one. Another, another decent one. Sure. And, um, so if you, uh, you're starting a brand new strength program, super limited budget, you can only pick three items. What do you, what do you got to have? I'm going to roll the three best coaches I can get. Nice. Yep. I don't need any equipment. We're going to roll our coaches. We're going to develop the system from the ground up. We're going to move from the floor. Uh, whatever we got to go get rocks, we're going to get rocks, but I'm rolling three best coaches, best staff members I can get. Very cool. Very cool answer. I like it. Um, and then my last kind of fun one here, if you had a magic wand and you could eliminate one coaching practice, what would it be? 
Well, I think clarity is really, really important. If you can't create clarity out of what you're doing, uh, it's tough to, to solve problems. So I'm going get rid of data that you don't need or don't use. Um, that may or may not qualify under what you're calling a coaching practice, but we spend a lot of time as coaches assessing, pulling values, making sure they're accurate, talking through in meetings, figuring out how does it play for each each athlete. At the end of the day, if uh, if that information isn't helping to provide clarity to development, you need to get rid of it. Nice. No, I like it. Yeah. And then how can people reach you or if you want to plug the uh, the Professional Baseball uh-huh. Coach Society, how do, how do people reach out to you guys uh, or you specifically? Yeah, P- PBSCCS is, is exactly that. That's the handle on Twitter. Same thing, Facebook, baseballstrength.org for the Strength Coaches Group. Um, I could probably field an email address. I, I don't do social media. Uh, I have enough responsibilities during my day. I'm not really great at sending that stuff out. So I choose to not participate there, but we can we can put up an email uh, so that, that if anybody wants to reach out, they can do that. Cool. Well, no, definitely. I uh, appreciate you being on the podcast and enjoy great. the conference. Anybody specifically you're looking forward to seeing talk? You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to work through the agenda today and start to, to bookmark where I'm going to be. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to, to being here and seeing some familiar faces and, and meeting some people that I haven't come across before. Great. Well, thanks again. Thanks. See you soon. Sounds great. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.